welcome to episode 662 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. I'm Todd, along with Joe. How we doing today, Joe? On this past week's episode of Adults with Wrestling, I said we, uh, Adam and myself, are the Lamborghini of wrestling podcasts, and it did feel right. Uh, but how does the other podcasts on the network that are wrestling-related feel about you saying that? So, you know, they have played in the past and say they're like, oh, they're the Ford Pinto <laughs> you know, they're the, the Studebaker slash Edsel, whichever real fake name you want to use for that. The Pacer. And like, right. And I jokingly said, and the, the, I'm, I want to, I want to pat myself on the back and I'm literally pat, patting myself on the back right now. Um, I had, uh, for remembering something that I spoke into a microphone within the last four days, um, <laughs> that I said, why can't someone have three Lamborghinis? You have a nighttime Lamborghini, you have a daytime Lamborghini, and then you have a weekend Lamborghini, right? Right, right. So that's what the three shows would be. Adam and I would be the daytime Lamborghini that you take out during the week and the day. Brett and DJ would be the nighttime Lamborghini that you take out at night during the week. And then uh, uh, Tim and Marcus would be the weekend Lamborghini that you just take out on Saturdays and Sundays and holidays, you know? Right. And Hayabusa would be the Lamborghini you do Spectrox off of. Yeah, he'd say ketamine, but okay. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yes. Right. It's a wrestling adjacent podcast. So whatever car is adjacent to a Lamborghini, that's what a Hayabusa would be. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, would you like to know what's on the show this week? Hey, uh, I, I saw the notes. We got a lot of stuff to talk about this week, eh? Right. Yep. A Marvel crossover book that has Wolverine doing his best Chris Hansen impersonation. I like um, that. Plus some other new books, uh, Dog and maybe a late one. Um, Joe, how many universes are too many universes? And who will be the ultimate universe, Joe? <laughs> My wife did that the other day. I was so right. proud. And uh, more movie dates are a-changing. Um, uh, we have conventions. What we read last week, which was both Flash 800 and Peacemaker Tries Hard number two. What we're looking forward to this week. Um, Todd and Joe have issues where we do the reread of the complete uh, run of Sandman. Um, and this week it's uh, from Brief Live Sandman 45 and 46. And once again, no movie or TV talk at the end. But I th think that changes very, very soon, Joe. That's right. Uh, this weekend, I think uh, business is about to pick up, as they say. Right, right. So let's start with, I guess, the oldest story and just how things kind of work out. Um, it was announced uh, akin to the Aliens book and maybe akin to the recent maligned Planet of the Apes omnibus mm -hmm. that Marvel has announced in conjunction with 20th Century Studios that they are going to be doing a Predator versus Wolverine comic book. Right. Uh, written by Benjamin Percy with a variety of artists on it. It's a four-issue miniseries coming out in September. This is, I think, what the dream was when Marvel started gobbling up all these separate properties. Yep. 
Yeah, and you know it's it's happened. I think this is the first one, right? Like, there's been no sp- like we talked how many years ago when Marvel picked up, uh, you know, obviously the Disney thing and the Star Wars thing and everything else like that, and they're still putting out Star Wars comics to this day through Marvel. Mm-hmm. And we sat here and we're like, when are they going to do the Marvel Star Wars crossover? And I think you had said that that is too protected of a property for them to muck around with. You know, throwing a Deadpool or a Wolverine or someone like that in there, you know? I think it'll happen someday, Mm -hmm. but they're going to be like, we need that uh, cash boost, but that's about it. Now, I will say caveat to this, when Planet of the Apes was still at IDW... Now, did did they or did they not do a plan to the Apes Green Lantern book? They did, but IDW crossed over a lot of their books mm-hmm. with DC books. You had Turtles, Batman. You had Green Lantern, Star Trek. You had Green Lantern, Planet of the Apes, and other ones. I don't know, because I tapped out after because I thought the idea was cool. But after a while, it was like, all right, you're giving me too many of these. You know what I mean? Right. So again, like, so obviously this is the first Marvel one that they did this with. I assumed that they would have hit the ground running with an Aliens vs. Predator thing. Like, you'd have your Predator book running, your Aliens book running, and then eventually the two would thus meet. Um, But this makes sense. You know, it it looks like it's like Weapon X era Wolverine Mm -hmm. uh, from like the one teaser image that we got. So, uh, yeah, this is kind of cool. I'm with you that like, but I never thought it would be, I honestly thought it would be either aliens versus uh, Marvel heroes or predator versus Marvel heroes and then, or both at one separately and then tie it all together. I didn't think Marvel would go for the aliens versus predator right off the bat because it had been done to death at dark horse. Um, And this is a fresh, uh, at least a fresher take because uh, we haven't had them fight superheroes since Alien and Predator fought Batman and Superman back in the day and stuff like that, which are some really good comics. So I'm actually probably going to pick this up, even though I tapped out of all the Alien and Predator stuff over at Marvel because it was uninspired, like the the books, as far as I thought. Maybe this will be the shot in the arm to get things uh, back rolling again, you know? Yep, yep. Speaking of shots in the arm, and I didn't look at my calendar to see if this was some sort of anniversary or whatever it was, but Marvel has also solicited an Ultimates line relaunch, if you will. Uh, it's mm-hmm. starting out as just as a miniseries and a one-shot written by Jonathan Hickman uh, with art by Brian Hitch, who was one of the artists on the original Ultimates book. Now, it looks like it's just, you know, Ultimates... Um, you know, it doesn't appear as though it's going to be like the X-Men people just yet. Um, it looks like there are Fantastic Four people. It looks like there are Spider-Man people, but it's mostly the Ultimates, which was the Ultimate Universe's version of the Avengers, which so much of the look and style and feel of the Marvel Cinematic Universe came from that Ultimate or the original Ultimates book. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Though I will say, I believe it's all kicked off by the Maker, which was the ultimate Fantastic uh, for Reed Richards. So that's like he's been put putzing around the main six one six and stuff like that. Um, I think it's uh, kind of a good idea because I always liked back in the day when they did the Ultimate Universe. I was like, 
this is something for people to get the ground floor on. You don't have to be mucked down in, uh, well, you know, like continuity and stuff like that. But then after 10 years of my ultimate universe, it became mucked up. And I don't know if there's going to be a crisis like clean, clean slate, but, uh, or it's just going to end up more confusing, but I wish them the best of luck on the ultimates. Yeah. It'll be very interesting to see what they end up doing with this. Is this going to be, you know, a full relaunch. Is this going to be a way to kind of like close the bow on the maker to kind of get him out of the main Marvel universe and get him back into whatever the ultimate universe is. And then just say, we'll come back to this later. Um, so at least I'm a little intrigued, you know, Mm -hmm. I am too. I don't know if I'll pick it up, but I, but you never know. Yeah. Just, you know, as interesting things are getting announced and discussed and so forth, now, this one I'm going to tread lightly on, okay? Okay. Um, even though spoilers are out and have been out for some time, and by the time many of you are listening to this, you'll be able to go and pick up the book if it's still available. But for weeks and weeks, Image has told us that the upcoming Robert Kirkman book, Void Rivals, would be one of the most important books that Image puts out uh in 2023 right and i don't want to be the one to fully spoil it but i will say um if you were a fan of hasbro toys in the 80s you might want to see if you can go get a copy of this book yep run not walk yes um very interesting that they decide to do this in a stealth sort of way yeah, it, it is because I think it's going to be, you know what, I, I'm starting to come around on it though because I think this is going to be a bigger book, especially since the way they did it. It will put eyes on it. It might have clunked out, but I think a lot like Baby Yoda, it's like when it comes out, it's going to be all the craze because nobody expected it. I don't know if that's making any sense. You know what I mean? Like if we had teased it and did it, it would have been... It would have been old news by the time it landed on the newsstand because everything's got like a two-month lead time of news that I think this is actually going to help it. Um, But you have trouble getting a first print, maybe. Yeah. And and just, you know, from the solicitation, of course, it says from the blockbuster team that brought you Oblivion Song, uh, which was okay. Uh, Robert Kirkman and Lorenzo Felici debut the biggest new comic book series of 2023 with the launch of a key phrasing here all new shared universe and a surprise you won't see coming Mm -hmm. so the fact that these properties however many there are are going to be right out of the bat part of a shared universe is very interesting as well right because you know we, we always assume that those things are part of the shared universe and every now and then they cross over but like the fact that we're coming right out of the gate with saying that you know i think that's that's pretty interesting you know Mm -hmm. yeah and uh i was you know back in the day i i've I've, you know i always peek at those books um you know it's not the first time that they were at image um, they were in the, they were at image for one time back in like the early two thousands before image, like when image was like, you know, kind of down and the comics, comic book industry was down. Um, I and they were just trying anything. That. Yeah. I don't remember that at all. Um, yeah. Um, oh, and again, I'm, uh, this, 
One of them definitely was, for sure. And then I think they did a crossover with another studio that Jay Lee had. And Jay Lee was kind of sort of image, but not really image. Fair enough. And, and then he took one of the two properties off and did his own thing. Um, but there was a period of time in like 02 to 04 where one of these two properties that were tiptoeing around was at image. Like, okay. I can't remember who the writer was, but they all had like J. Scott Campbell covers and the whole thing, you know? Right. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. Like I said, if, uh, you know, if you're, if you're listening to this now, um, and you're interested in those things, don't forget, uh, to ask your retailer if they have any copies of, uh, Void Rivals laying around. You know, they probably won't, but maybe they'll get you in the second print. Right. Yes. Um, and, uh, as a follow-up and may, and maybe spoiler, uh, for folks that listen to the Patreon show from this past week. So we're going through the, if you've never listened to preview of the past before, I think we've put episodes out like as tests for free and so on and so forth. Um, We go through the previews catalog. I put the preview of it up for free on the Patreon. It's not the plug for the Patreon, but here we are. (laughs) And there was a book that was in the June 93 previews catalog. That's like the name of it. It's like, oh, this looks interesting. This seems familiar, but I'm not really putting the pieces together of what it is. And it was a book called Damien Dark. And obviously part of the reason why is because Damien Dark from Legends of Tomorrow, you know. So then as I'm looking at the solicitation and reading the information on this, and I'm like, this really sounds familiar, right? Yep. And it turns out that Damien Dark was something that was called Dylan Dog in Italy that was made into two movies here in the States uh, one was actually called Dylan Dog that starred Brandon Routh. Another one from like the late 90s was called Cemetery Man starring Rupert Everett. Um, you know, both of them saw a very low modicum of success. But they just announced this week that after it's been sitting on the shelf for almost four years, they <laughs> did a Dylan Dog Batman crossover that's finally going to see the light of day at the end of this month. Right, and that's because we mentioned it on the Patreon. Right, so, that's so that's that's got to be it. Um, I, I assume whoever's in charge and deciding to put this out um, listens to the Patreon. So we thank you for your continued support. And decided like, oh, th- th- this this property's hot again. They're talking about on this Patreon show. Yeah, um, it popped up on the Google radar. You know. Yeah. Um, and then it says the first, um, it's going to be three issue. It's a three issue miniseries. Um, and I'll say the interiors look very nice. Um, but it's something, you know, I think it's only being published in Italy. Um, the collection when it's finished is going to come out in the United States. It looks like, um, but it was just one of those things like, when is the last time that anyone talked about Dylan Dog Cemetery Man? And here's like, oh, here's this four year old Batman crossover that we're going to finally put out, you know? Yep, yep. Powerful, the Long Box Heroes effect is powerful. I guess. Um, and last but not least in the news, um, Disney announced a bunch of date changes on movies, right? Mm hmm. Um, all the way, all the way into 2025. Uh, we're not going to go through everything, but a bunch of, you know, Marvel stuff got pushed around, like some stuff getting pushed back as far as a year, 
like the like the Avengers movies mm-hmm. all got bumped back a year. That's the Kang effect there. Yeah, well, that's the Kang effect, and that's everything else that's going on, too. Some movies just, like, bump back three months, but the two major Avengers movies both respectively got moved back a year. Um, but the big thing was that the Deadpool movie got bumped up six months. Right, yeah. Um, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so, obviously... I. I feel as though that movie might be a little bit further along, obviously, if they're willing to move it up six mm-hmm. months. It was supposed to be November of two, uh, 2024. It's now May of 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as a follow-up from last week, uh, not an official Rob watch, but let's say uh, uh, the Rob follow-up. How about that? Fair enough. <laughs> so uh, I listened to to the Rob on Word Balloon uh, John Suntress is a great interviewer. The the podcast was two and a half hours long, uh, but they do a video version of it. So like I was able to like throw it on the big screen and just like watch the Rob on my big screen and listen to him and everything. Um, the Rob, when he's being interviewed by someone else, definitely kind of follows suit with the interviewer. And Johnny's not the type of guy that buries someone. So the Rob kind of like kept some of the bodies uh, like uh, didn't name anyone, you know. Right, he didn't go rogue. But he did mention one thing, because I guess because he's the Rob, he got to see some dailies or got some information about Deadpool 3. Mm-hmm. And he had just kind of like casually or flippantly or offhand said like, oh, I'm surprised how much Wolverine is in Deadpool 3. Okay. Okay. Right. And people freaked out apparently the, uh, the Rob says that the Deadpool is more of a Wolverine movie. Wow. Uh, the Rob says Deadpool is barely in Deadpool 3 and so on and so forth. And he's like, no, no, that's not what I said. What I said was, he goes, I'm just surprised how much Wolverine is in it. He goes, I didn't, ex- I, I had very low expectations of how much Wolverine was going to be in it. And then with what I saw, I'm like, he's in it quite a bit. So it's like, if you're a fan of Wolverine, especially Hugh Jackman Wolverine, and you were just expecting it to be like a glorified cameo, Right. You know, it's not going to be a glorified cameo like he's actually in the movie, you know? Yep. I think they moved it up so you could see it earlier, you know? I think so. Being the the old Double R fan that you are. We haven't mentioned Double R in a while, so. He's been um, making vodkas and cell phone companies and good for him. He's got all sorts of opportunities. Yeah. Collect those checks. I got. Listen, I hope. Every non-theatrical creative venture that the old R double gets involved with is hugely financial, so he never has to work again. That's you know what? That's very kind of you. I will say he made me five bucks on Deadpool three. Oh yeah? Yeah, I made a bet with the definitive Colonel Sanders artist. He was like, there's no way Deadpool 3 is going to be R because Disney has it now. And I was like, I'll take that bet in front of a room full of witnesses. And then it came out that it's getting an R rating. He was like, okay, I owe you five bucks. <laughs> I was like, and I'm a, I'm a gambler. I'm like, I bet I want that money in my hand. There's no like, oh, it's only five bucks. You keep it. You make a bet. You pay a bet. Now, on the flip side, I would have waited for an official Red Band trailer to come out mm-hmm. as the official confirmation because that movie's still 11 months away, Todd. They could change that rating. Right. So 
Um, I, money hasn't changed hands yet, but I want like, so we'll, we'll do, we'll cross that road, but I think I'm going to win this one still. So he conceded, but I, it can't swing back the other way. I'm but just I don't saying think if I conceded gonna. and it ends up being PG 13, I want my five bucks back. No. See, once you concede, all things are uh, okay. <laughs> null and void. Like once money changes head, null and void. Gotcha. All like, right. Like if they scratch a horse at a, at a race, they don't come to your house to get the money back that you want. They might. I don't know. I've never. Depends on who you bet with. Okay. I think so. You know, they you owe them the money. They say you're gonna break their. They're gonna break your legs, and then you still owe them the money. You would think them breaking your legs would somehow make you even or take a little bit off of what you owe them, right? Right. I agree. I agree. I don't know. I think they charge you for the leg breaking service. There's an extra (laughs) fee. Bunch of hired goons. The money's got to come from somewhere. That's the money I don't have. There you go. Uh, so I'll just throw this out here as well. Uh, talking other podcasts, not in the network, and we'll get into the network stuff here shortly. Um, Michael Rosenbaum has a podcast. Everybody's talking to me about that this week. Go ahead. Well, because Jimmy Pistol was on. Right, because they're friends. They're they're really good buddies, and it's the podcast like an hour and a half, you know, maybe less if you zip through, if you watch if you watch the YouTube version, they have like little markers in there of where the ad reads are, so you can skip through them pretty easily. Oh, but how are they going to make that money? You know what? I have a fe- I have a feeling that Michael Rosenbaum and Jimmy Pistol are doing okay financially. Call it odds. I hope they do so well they never have to work again, Joe. No, I want them both to work all the time. Oh, okay. But it, it was just, like I said, I like both guys. It was a really fun interview. It was a really fun podcast. If you're a fan of either guys, if you want an idea of like, you know, obviously there's so much that he could put out in a tweet or replying to someone's tweet, but to kind of hear James Gunn's thoughts and everything else in regards to, you know, his dealings at Marvel, his dealings now at uh, DC and how that all came to pass. Uh, They even talk about the soft canceling that happened to him, if you remember that. I remember that he wasn't going to do Guardians three, yeah. and then like he had like they you know they Zach's the, the actor Zach Snydered him. They stood up for him like we're not doing it without him. Yeah. Uh, but they they talk about everything. It's a it's a very uh you know a very good interview. I, I definitely recommend checking it out. You know. Yep. Yep. Um. So that's enough of plugging that stuff. There's conventions this weekend, Todd. Mm-hmm. So this weekend, it's all, you know, in the same general area. We have Awesome Con in Washington, D.C. Right. Uh, comic book folks we have there, David Finch, Humberto Ramos, Sean Gordon Murphy, Simon Bisley. Uh, media guest side, we got Billy D. Williams, uh, Denny Trejo, LeVar Burton, Christopher Eccleson. Pretty oh. decent sized convention. Yep, if I went, I would get my Colt 45 signed by mm. Billy D. Oh, what was the... <laughs> they did the parody version of it. Have you ever seen the parody, the, the SNL parody of it? No, I don't think so. <laughs> the the, um, the Colt 45 and the SNL parody is called Cold Cock. <laughs> okay, right. And it's, it's, a, it's a malt liquor so powerful, it's like you got punched. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the person like takes the sip and it's like mm, cold cock and like the fist comes off the label and like decks you you know right right 
Um, yeah, yeah, so I always think of that when I think of uh, Colt 45. Um, but the biggie this weekend, Todd, the big Dukeroo, one of the bucket list conventions in Charlotte, North Carolina, is Heroes Con. I could sit here and read the, the list, and it reads like a who's who in the world of comics, right? Mm-hmm. But just some of the ones that I would, like, if I went, I would go, I'd get a Mark picture with them, I'd get a sketch, I'd get a something, I'd put my, you know, I, I'd do some sort of interaction with them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Wes Craig, um, he he did the Kang uh, piece that hangs on my wall, you know? Right. Um, Daniel Warren Johnson, he of Do a Powerbomb fame. Right. Um, you know, fantastic. Carrie Nord, uh, who was the artist on Daredevil when I really got into Daredevil back in like 96, 97. Um, Mark Schultz, uh, even though I don't have to go to Charlotte if I really wanted to talk to him, more on him later. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Schweizer and Kyle Starks are going to be there, you know. Um, it is a jam-packed convention. All creators, no media guests, no fluff. It's just pure comics. And it's one of the few ones that are left that are pure comics, you know? Yep, I love. I only went to Charlotte Con once, but I loved it. That was, oh my god, 97 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to get back, but I don't see it happening. But it's a great con. Yeah. Uh, a, a highest recommendation, like I said, it's on the bucket list. It's that, it's C2E2, and uh, what, Emerald City are on our respective bucket lists? No, my bucket lists are San Diego, New York, Charlotte, Baltimore, and C2E2. No Emerald City for you? No, Emerald City came in, like, after, like late. Like, that was maybe only, like, 20 years ago. So I was, like, 30 by the time Emerald City started. I'm talking, like, the cons of my youth that I always wanted to go to. So Gotcha. Though I would go if they wanted us and flew us out. I would gladly go to Emerald City. <laughs> if they want a, an award-eligible uh, uh, podcast, we'll come out. That's right. So I'll I'll when twenty twenty four rolls around I'll start sending out, I'll send out the press packet right. Uh, so the links to those conventions will be in the show notes uh, along with information about soon to be named network at soon to be named network dot com. Anytime any of the shows in the soon to be named network go live, you could find them at their respective sites, their respective feeds through your respective podcatchers, or you could find them all over at soon to be named network dot com soon to be named network.tumblr.com and that includes this show that you're listening to right now longbox heroes longbox heroes after dark puzzle warriors 3 profane arguments wings on wings we need wrestling final wrestling place hit my music i'll be back any day now i'm sure of it uh the boutique show uh no chance in helmets as the uh football season creeps ever closer uh more ominously Remind mm-hmm. me to talk about that off air, too. Um, you know, I'm sure they'll be doing a redo, as I saw, like, Cleveland has a new logo, so I'm sure they'll have new helmets. Right, they'll um, have some uh, just one-game helmets this year or something. Yeah, there'll be a lot of discussion of that that'll need a follow-up. But anytime any of that stuff goes live, uh, or anytime anyone from the network or on any other shows, you could find them there. And we mentioned at the top of the show, they're new to the network, so sometimes I forget them. Hayabusi, of course, uh, you know, the, the $100,000 per episode show of the uh, soon-to-be-named network. Right. 
all those podcasts, uh, Labberganies, one and all. Yes. Uh, check out some of our friends around the internet and stuff that they're up to comic-related. Go check out our friend Mike Sterling's blog at ProgressiveRuin.com. Go check out our friend Kevin's blog over at MassedLibrary.com. Go check out Rick Williams' The Chop Shop at FreeKarateChops.StoreEnvy.com. Uh, Jason Sandberg's Jupiter is at $8,300 and growing. It's essentially at a a la carte where you could purchase the comic and any and all of the add-ons and accessories through the Indiegogo page, which is linked up here. Chris Runt's Fortress of Comic News.com podcast that comes out. We're dealing with a little bit more um, insular stuff, maybe a little bit more independent stuff than what we cover here on this show. And of course, you can go get his uh self-published comic battle monsters there as well you can go check out our friend dave of the band cave people and rosovia's comic at keepercomic.bigcartel.com and again every once in a while i always like to double check because there was a period of time where it was sold out uh, but it is back in stock and it is and i'll check every couple weeks to make sure it's available you know right um go check out our friend becky uh her social media go find out the uh process commissions prints and everything else that she does uh she's very talented and upcoming artist and i'll have to remind her when that book comes out that she's going to have a pinup in is out so we can make sure to give it the push here right and the uh the uh, the uh plugs here are a little bit out of order because we have big news on the front of our local comic book shop comics on the green yes yes you do not have a good comic book shop in your area or any comic book shop in your area. Let them be your comic book shop. Go look at their Facebook page. That's where Dave lets you know all the stuff that's going on, the pre-orders and the new books are in. Go sign up for their mail order subscription service. However, and I'm going to read this from the official press release. (laughs) He's the artist that other artists idolize, and he's done a very special limited cover for our shop. Living legend Mark Schultz is returning to the Hyborian Age with Conan the Barbarian from Titan Publishing July 26th. This is such a big release. The owner of the company himself will be overseeing the final artwork on these companies. We'll be calling this one Conan the Barbarian Mark Schultz Max Attack Variant. And if you look closely at the art, you'll see why that has many meanings. Uh, and again, of course, the final art will have the cover dress, trade dress, and so forth. This is a limited edition cover. will only be available through Comics in the Green. They're going to start taking special orders in the shop and online next week. Um, so go follow them on social media, pre- preferably through Facebook, because that's where Dave and the crew are a little bit more active. Uh, go check out how awesome that cover is. And uh, like I said, if you want to be get a piece of comics on the green history, a new Conan number one and a new publisher, uh, by all means, definitely check this out. And like I said, they'll have the pre-order information online uh, very soon, I would assume. Um, and I'm thinking of offering up an opportunity to our Ooh. local retailer. There's that word again. Um, I think they should do uh, signed comics, maybe by Mac, uh, Mark Schultz, but also like uh, dip Max's paw in like a little bit of ink and do little paw print comics, like a signature by uh, the lovable Max, the uh, you know the jack of all trades at the comic shop. 
Is would he be um steady enough to be able to put his paw on something without smearing it, you know? Um, I think it could be done. I think it could really be done. Joe, if it was up to me, I would just buy a pad stamp that was oh. paw print shaped and just do it over and over again. But if you wanted to be authentic, um, Max is really good, and as long as you were feeding him treats, he would let you put your his feet in anything. Gotcha. Uh, so yeah, definitely check that out. Dave and the crew have been very, you know, very excited about this. It's a big deal. Um, you know, Mark Schultz, you would know uh, from the indie comic from the '90s, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. But as as Dave mentioned, living legend of the world of comic books, um, and it's a beautiful cover. Go check out. You know, you can find it. We have the link to Dave's Facebook. And the shop's Facebook in the show notes. It's like the third post down. Maybe it'll be the fourth by the time you hear this. But definitely check it out. It's worth your while. Um, you know, you're talking about getting signed editions. And they should sell that as a print, too. But I'm just saying. I, I would not doubt if it popped up. Because Mark does that. Because his... And rightfully so. This is not a dick. His artwork is just, you know, it's super, you know, uh, expensive um, and worth every penny. But he likes to make prints for, like, you know, people who can have something. And I have a feeling that at shows this summer after the book is out that there'll be prints of that cover um, at his table at various conventions. Gotcha. All right. So, Todd, let's get into what we read from this past week. Where would you like to begin? Um, I'm going to start with the book I was looking forward to most, which was the giant anniversary issue, uh, Flash 800, with various creators. The creators over the run of the comic, um, actually, three of the writers have my three favorite runs of all time of the Flash. We have uh, Jeremy uh, Adams, we have Mark Wade, we have Joshua Williams, we have Jeff Johns, um, and then we have the preview of the Cy Spurrier run, um, art by... Uh, Fernando Passarin, uh, Todd Nock, uh, Carmine D. Giamonico, and Scott Collins. And the final one is Mike Diodato on the preview. But um, I will say the Jeff John story with Scott Collins was very nostalgic and it made my heart feel good. But that was just a straight up retelling of Zoom's origin, making me think he's coming back because the two of them created him. It kind of left it open to, to some stuff. Uh, so I got that one right out of the way. Um, the uh, Joshua Williams one, Williamson one was really good, but if you're not steeped in the Joshua Williamson run, I think that one's a little less accessible, but it's basically them doing a uh, Iris and Barry going out on a date and going on the cosmic treadmill and reliving some memories and seeing their kids in the future. It's a nice little moment, not my favorite story. But the two best stories in here are written by Jeremy Adams and Mark Wade. Um, the Jeremy Adams one, he bas- they basically a bunch of villains that aren't the rogues gallery are discussing, you know, what city they should do crimes in. And somebody brings up, uh, well, why not? Why not uh, Central and Keystone? And it's like not good. And they go down the reasons. And I like the writer, like, because if you're gonna. If you're the writer and you do your city for whatever hero you've written, you always put that city over as the one criminal shouldn't go to. And they did. And it was funny them telling the stories of what the criminals did and how Wally kind of put them down um, all the way up to the big Dukeroo, as you say, uh, Joker himself. That was a most fun story. And in the end, it kind of ends the only way it can. And it has that playful 
uh, central city feel, not like, oh, we're murdering people and we have vicious uh, criminals and stuff like that. It's a lighter story, which is basically what I like about Flash. Did you like that one story, Joe? Okay. So let's, you know, let's, you know, obviously I was going to wait till you were done talking about everything, but let's get into it. Um, the Cy Spurrier story looked beautiful. The art was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Seemed, and I, 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 Cy, I'll say this, Simon Spurrier's not a writer for me. He's very heady. Very heady. And reading this in order as it's printed, right? I think the... Mm-hmm. Um, the Joshua Adams or the Jeremy Adams story is first, then the Mark Wade story, then the Joshua Williamson story, then the Jeff John story, and the Simon Spurrier story in that order, right? Mm-hmm. So, re- especially reading the Jeremy Adams story and the Mark Williams story, and then wrapping things up with the Simon Spurrier story was like almost like whiplash, pun intended, right? Right. Um, much lighter hearted you know, much more fun. And I get sometimes you got to take a character. I'm not saying that they're deconstructing them, but sometimes you got to maybe take a little bit more of a bigger take on them, uh, a more heady take or more whatever take, but to have it in that same comic of these lighter toned stories. And then to have that last story be so big, it, it felt like culture shock almost. Right. Yep. Yeah. I will say this. Um, I really thought he Spurrier did the human like the human stuff really well. Like the date with Wally and Linda was perfect. Where it's like, oh, I have to sk- like do- she's blinking. That gives me a second to go fix what I want. She deserves time with me, but he's lying to her, and I'm like, oh, that's a good juggle. We'll see where that goes. And then things go off, and I'm like, oh, this whole like trippy. He's got a new weird power. The Flash just runs fast. He doesn't need. He doesn't need speed force whips and lightsabers. Just like, not that they're in this. That was the TV show. But I'm like, okay, that just confused me. That being said, my collection is going to be going to keep going. I'm going to get this. Yeah. But the thing I want to just briefly talk about and end on is how much I love the Mark Wade story. Yeah. Mark Wade on Flash. It makes me want to reread the Flash that he did. It makes me want him back on the Flash again. Todd Knox art was beautiful on this. Um, and the way impl- he writes Impulse, he created him. He understands it. He was so like aggravating even to the reader. And I was dying. And the way Max describes, he's like, listen, Wally, you have to... Uh, Bart's like uh, the Mars rover. You you can't give him a series of uh, uh, jobs to do. You have to give him one at a time in the order that you want them, or he gets confused. And I'm like, I've never had uh, Bart summed up so perfectly. And please, oh, please come back or do like Marvel does. You know how they give Peter David, like the Hulk in the, in the Mr. Fix it area era, give old creators the dc characters in those eras that they're famous for just let them run with it no pun intended well even this story they uh, they say like this takes place between issues five and six or four and five two issues in his run yeah yeah of the impulse run from the late 90s right Mm -hmm. um so and i'm with you listen i love mark wade these are you know characters that i associate with uh with him and when I say associate with him, I mean pretty much every DC character. Yep. Because um, I think he understands the DC characters in the comic book forms better than pretty much anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, that Jeremy Adams story was maybe my favorite thing I've read all year. 
Really? I, it was I, so fun. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I can't recall off the top of my head who the artist on that was. Because again, it was a bunch of different artists. And I want to make sure that I'm I got cre- it right here. Keep going, crediting the right person. I don't have my, my copy right here in front of me. <clears throat> Fernando Passarin, who is an amaz- uh, amazing artist. He's been around a long time. I love all his stuff. Right. He's um, nobody draws the condiment king the way he does. <laughs> so you've got it, and, and that's the thing. You it's it, it's an old trope. You know, it's something that we've discussed before. You know, all the way back to you know, and I'm sure there were instances beforehand. But as a as a more modern reference of it was the episode of Batman the animated series of Almost Got Him. You know, mm-hmm. yep. And like you have that feel, and you have. A bunch of kind of recognizable, but not so so recognizable, like lower end flash villains or just new creations or whatever it is. And they're not the rogues, and they mention the rogues, and they say, you know, there's a line in there about like, yeah, the fact that the rogues can actually operate here makes them like, you know, a bigger deal than one would even expect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then they're regaling you at stories like Todd mentioned it from everyone from. Uh, the Condiment King to the Joker to who was the the wizard? What was the... He's the Legion of Superheroes wizard, Morloon. Yes. Morlan, so it's like Morlun. these three, you know, different level heroes or villains, rather, and just the way that Wally deals with them and the way that they're like, no, that didn't happen. And then you get the bit at the end and, like, I even forget that they do, like, a Lex Eats thing as opposed to an Uber Eats thing. Right uh, for the bit at the end, but it was such a fun story, and like that's the sort of comic books I like to read. Yep, and because some characters don't need, like I said back when we did, like grim and gritty. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Flash is not one of them, and it worked so well. And that's why I liked a lot of the last, like uh, after Rebirth and everything. It was just such a good run of books, you know. We'll see now. We'll see what Cy Spurrier has to give me. Yeah, it's going to almost make me want to go check out more of that run that I skipped out on just because, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm not the – I like the Flash, but I'm not as much as a Flash guy as you are, you know? Right. Um, the other book that we both read uh, was Peacemaker Tries Hard Number 2, uh, written by Kyle Starks with art by Stephen Pugh. Um, this is Peacemaker Getting His Mission. And his mission is not to go and kill uh, Deathstroke or even fight Deathstroke. Uh, There's a guy who has some of Deathstroke's DNA. Mm -hmm. Leave it at that. And all Peacemaker needs to do is go and get that and bring it back. And Monsieur Mahler goes with him. And Peacemaker and Monsieur Mahler are bonding they like the same music. Uh, they, you know, Peacemaker invites him over to the party that he's going to have on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. And Mala agrees. Um, we get, I'm assuming, a new creation of the DC Universe, the Demolition Team. Nope, nope. They go all the way back to, like, around when Jon Stewart was the Green Lantern. When okay. Hal- around Crisis on Infinite Earth. And they are the Wrecking Crew done right, Joe? I, I was going to say, it's it's DC's version of the Wrecking Crew. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, you know, they're, they're a unionized team of folks. <laughs> yep. 
very, you know, very union. That's a big thing about them. Um, they, uh, Peacemaker and Mala come upon, um, you know, who the the big bad, I guess, is going to be in this, who he might be big and he might be bad, but he, he might be a little, little slow in his old age, let's say, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And and again, I didn't want to tip things off, but I did like um, this character. And I'm doing my best. I don't want to spoil this because there's so much fun stuff that happens in this book. And if you didn't pick up issue one, I'd say shame. If you don't pick up issue two, shame. Because next month, we're spoiling everything, right? Yep. We're going to have no choice because something big happens at the end of the, the, the issue. You know, you, Todd, had mentioned, like, you can't. If you watch the Peacemaker TV show on HBO Max, now just called mm-hmm. Max, and you read this comic, you can't imagine this not being the John Cena iteration from the TV show's voice and mannerisms and inflection, everything else in the way that you read this book. Right, It's like Kevin Conroy on Batman with me sometimes. Yes. And there's, you know, the part about the bees, and there's the part about all the different helmets, and (laughs) there's so many great gags in this book, and it's a good book that stands on its own, but it's so much richer of an experience if you saw the TV show. Yes, and like I said, I'm not going to destroy anything in here, but. The, the trophy room? Yes, that, the trophy room. That's where I got distracted from. Yes, yes. Um, The trophy room happens, and I popped so hard for so many things. <laughs> um, And I'll just say, because it's the one that won't give anything away, Um, there's a thing of the of, of uh, sheriff's badges. Okay. Which is from Jonah Hex, the, 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 the Old West star man, who was killing... Uh, uh, corrupt sheriffs throughout the West, and that's all this. That's the jacket with all the stars. And I'm like, Kyle Starks, you something, something. You put a Jonah Hex like Easter egg in there. You are now, you know, my best friend for life, and we're gonna <laughs> be together like Mr. Mala and Peacemaker for all eternity, Joe. Right. And I think there was something that was spoiled on the cover for either three or four. Uh, in regards to what the villain may have in his collection. Right. But all around, <laughs> such a great book. Pew's art is amazing, captures everything we need. His gorillas are amazing. Um, but yeah, so uh, I can't recommend this book enough, especially, like you said, if you like the Peacemaker show, I don't know what more you would want. Like, it's it, it's the Peacemaker show on paper. Yes, yes. And if that's not a ringing endorsement, I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what we read last week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, uh, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Uh, Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is looking forward to coming out this week. Todd is currently in the lead. Or I'm, no. I'm sorry. Todd, I am currently in the lead over Todd with five correct guesses. Right. You were so shocked that you were ahead that he got confused. That's right. Um, but uh, I'm looking over your list and is the book that you're looking forward to most the Night Fever hardcover? It is the Night Fever hardcover, yes. Yeah. 
And I'm going to guess that the book that you're most looking forward to coming out this week is also the Night Fever hardcover as well, correct? Yep, it definitely is, and that's why I definitely put it on my list. Right, well, listen, I have poor reading comprehension. I don't know what right. to tell yep. you. Um, so, yeah, so um, it's the new Brubaker and uh, Sean Phillips hardcover. They seemingly come out about every three to four, uh, three to four months. This one is kind of disconnected. Uh, from criminal, from reckless stuff, it's its own new standalone thing, and I wish I could give you more information about it, but you tell me Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips are bo- doing a book, and you just tell me the day it comes out, and I'll have my money waiting for you. I don't, don't tell me about what it is ahead of time. Right. I'm with you. I'm there. Yeah. And I think they announced what the next one is. Um, It's not coming out until October. And I'm surprised that it didn't get um, more of a push, you know, like the announcement of it. But it's not in the solicitations yet. But, you know, just so you could kind of mark it on your calendar. uh, The next one is titled Where the Body Was. Oh, okay. Uh, My apologies. So it'll be in October solicitations to come out in December. Um it says, starting with a map of a crime scene, this murder mystery follows the ripples that echo through the decades of love and loss and passion and violence after one fateful killing. Like a true crime podcast crossed with a long-lost diary, where the body was is unlike anything Brubaker and Phillips have ever done. Mm-hmm. That's too much information. I didn't listen to a word of it, so I wouldn't Good. be spoiled. Perfect. That's the way I like to hear it. So, yeah, so no movement there uh, on the leaderboard. Um, But again, as long as I still have the lead, that's the most important thing, right? Always. That's what it's all about. It's always about being first. If you're not first, you're last. Right. I think that was the episode title last week or something thereabouts. No, that was on At Odds. My apologies. Oh, okay. My co-host is rubbing off on you. You got to stop playing with that kid. Yeah, well, I can't. I can't. I'm, I'm in too deep. Anyway. So while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have been up to, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, or the current ongoing Todd and Joe Have Issues, where we are reading through Neil Gaiman's Sandman, not just the 75 issues, we've got all the miniseries, we've got the one-shots, we got the short stories, we got it all. Yes, siree. And this is where Todd takes the reins on all of this, and I just sit here and chime in as I have my uh, trade paper back here in front of me. And we are going to be talking about issues 45 and 46 this week, uh, which are part of the Brief Lives uh, collection. Yes. Um, Obviously written by Neil Gaiman, art by Jill Thompson and Vince Locke once again. Um, And it starts out with Tiffany and Ishtar. Um, uh, Tiffany is the girl that Delirium went into her mind last issue to kind of like see where Ishtar was because that seems to be the girl that they're looking for. Um, and they end up talking about like various, uh, they wake up and, and Tiffany's just a mess and, uh, Ishtar is going to make her breakfast. I do like the joke. I won't say it, but how, uh, Tiffany likes her eggs. That makes me laugh. I completely forgot about it. And basically I'm not going to hit everything that they talk about, but a lot of the stuff is like very living a hard life. Everything that they talk about, especially like Tiffany, like talking about her friends in the dance 
racing world that they're in and the kind of stuff like the the drugs that they get into and maybe uh tiffany can't hold down a, a meal joe how about that huh one so a couple things i want to mention um you know as ishtar is preparing food for tiffany right mm-hmm. and there's the bit where um she's cracking the scrambled egg into the um the mixer right right um ishtar specifically says uh scrambled eggs and toast that's protein and carbos okay Mm -hmm. um i remember a time when carbs were referred to as carbos right you carbo loaded that's right and that's a vernacular that's kind of gone away for a variety of reasons and uh, I know in discussing it with our friend Kevin, who I mentioned before from Math Library, um, there's that one panel of Tiffany not being able to hold her food down. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, I tweeted out the panel, but it's also the panel next to her, uh, the, the panel right next to it where you see, you know, whether the, you know, she vomits or, and again, listen, it's what it is. Uh, and then that next panel of her just sitting there, like, and it's a comic, but you could tell from the way that she's drawn, she's drawn to be like motionless and almost in a state of shock mm-hmm. as it's just all running down the front of her. Those two panels together have stuck with me from the first time that I saw them to reigniting them, rereading them for this week. There are also some panels in this issue that stuck with me. But I'm not sure how to talk about him later. So, well, listen, you, you use your best judgment. Let's just say that. But and we'll then, get there when we get there. And then, um, when your judgment fails, you just do what I would do. And what's that? Uh, air on the side of caution. Uh, I do do what would Joe do? WWJD, you know. Um, but anyway, so we cut to Sandman and Delirium, and uh, boy, oh boy. Delirium is driving, and uh, she finally got her wish. And she's driving, driving pretty much as well as you think Delirium would drive. Um, and she's like, "Oh, we're going, we're we going in the right way." Kind of a deal. She wants to turn the car into a centipede so it'll go faster. Sandman's having none of it. Once again, the interaction between Delirium and Sandman absolutely priceless. They realize that the car behind them is making sound. As we know what it is, it's a cop. They have no clue what it is. They come up. The cop starts, you know, like hassling delirium that she's the worst driver in the world. And, you know, she's basically like, oh, you're being nasty. Um, I think you have invisible insects, all of you now, for all of your life, for now and forever and for always. And he's like, listen. And he just goes like, oh, my God, I have them on me. And that's like we see him running around. And even Sandman's like, Ooh, was that necessary? And she's like, I don't tell you how to do dreams. Don't tell me how to do delirium. And he's like, okay. Yeah, um, fair enough. You know your business. So she's like, I don't, he's like, I don't think this is working. So let me get somebody who knows how to operate one of these automotive machines. And uh, goes and he gets Matthew, who was once a man. He's like, could you... Uh, uh, show her how to to drive it and he's like oh who my sister delirium he's like and he's like oh you're the first of the family that i met other than the hot chick with the long hair death i have to agree respectfully with matthew um and i do like that he's like what he's like so i'm here what's the deal he's like sam had a great line he's like the deal delirium will drive you will advise her i am sure you'll find the experience of one of great interest and variety <laughs> sandman doesn't lie joe <laughs> 
Very um, matter-of-factly says it, yes. Right. Um, I, uh, we cut back to Tiffany and Ishtar, and they're just talking, and uh, Tiffany inquires as to why Ishtar picked her stage name as Ishtar, um, because it was a terrible movie, and she's like, I don't kind of want to get into it. Why did you get into get your name, Tiffany? And she explains it was a watch that she stole from her mother because her mother loved it when she left. It was the only thing that she wanted, and uh, that like it would, you know, she she it was stolen by her boyfriend, kind of a deal. But she says, I wanted to be a dancer, and I'm not great, but you're like a, a great dancer. You do this like these moves that I've never seen. She explains kind of what they are and she's like why don't you dance as good as you can and she kind of says because they don't come to see that um uh and she's like well why not and he's like they just they don't want to see that they just don't she kind of plays it off and it's we're going to come around to why right and ishtar's being very coy in in everything doing her best to you know, pun intended, dance around answers, divert the things back to getting Tiffany to talk about herself, that sort of thing. Right. Um, and in the end, she describes uh, that the that the, the the watch was stolen by her boy. She woke up one morning and the watch and the guy, the guy were gone. And as she's driving, she's like, I feel like I have uh, some kind of mystical vision that there's a blackbird shouting at me in my head. And that's delirium kind of in her head using her as a beacon to get to where they're going and she hears matthew uh uh talking to delirium um they we get to the 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 club if you will and tiffany's there with i think you can say that i like that it's a gentleman's club that's called suffer uh, suffragette city that's great by the way um but uh and nancy tiffany and ishtar and they're talking about you know, olden times of uh, ladies of the evening and how things worked. And uh, Nancy's like, I know all this because I try to get my knowledge. And Ishtar's like, you're, you're getting it down. You're, you have everything right about the way it kind of worked. And she's like, oh, because I want to. She goes, how do you know all this? She's like, because I'm crafting a book someday on the matriarchy or, or women's stuff. And she's like, I want to go on Oprah. And that maybe, you know, something ties into that later. And I'm not going to d- dive deep into the uh, the pro- the ladies of the evening thing. Um, so now Ishtar goes up on stage and she could she's dancing and she could feel everything. All the people It's describing the music and like how she interacts with the people. But she's like, there's something up. I could feel something at the door. And it's basically Sandman, Delirium, and Matthew going in, and they end up getting stopped by the bouncer. And he's like, uh, "We, you can't bring a bird in here." He's like, "We're three normal people that you would let in this club at any given time." And he's like, "Okay, go ahead." And they go in, and Ishtar sees Morpheus, and she runs off stage. And he's like, "You can't just quit in the middle of your set." And he's like, "Doesn't matter. I'm going in here." Morpheus shows up. He's like, "You can't." He puts the whammy on the club owner and says, I'm going in and I'm going to talk to her alone. And, uh, you know, he, the club owner gets all the girls out and it's just Ishtar and Sandman. And we find out that her uh, name was Belili. Well, he, he calls her a bunch of different names. Right. He, he calls her, um, uh, 
He calls her Belili at one point, calls her Astarte another time, and then finally laments to calling her Ishtar. Right? Right. Because that's the name she goes by now. And he's like, you know, we're, you know. Uh, so that's who I am. He's, and I like that. Like old Sandman might not have like even given in. He just kind of is like, okay. And he's like, she's like, I delirium. That's who was me and your sister were coming, looking for me. That was who was in Ishtar trying to talk to me. I should have known. And he's, she's like, what brings you here? And I like this, that she calls it the temple of desire. And I never would have thought of that because Sandman just pretty much hates like love because of his relationships and what desires the games that she plays with them. But it does seem like a place he would never go. So um, I do like that. And she goes, and you never even approved of me. You said that I was a bad influence on your brother. And he's like, I remember. And I have not changed my opinion. And she's like, you don't really like women, do you? And he's like, I have no desire to quarrel further with you. He's just blowing it off. And uh, he's like, uh, I'm here with a warning on a question. She's like, are you threatening me? He's like, no, something's happened to people that are were in my brother's life. Um, so watch out. And do you know where his present uh, whereabouts are? And she's like, no. Um, he's like, okay, uh, let's see. I'm kind of got lost here. Um, and I, you may be in danger. And she's like, basically, um, it's like, I just want you to know, uh, thank you for the warning, but I loved your brother. I really did. And he's like, you were the goddess of love. I would expect nothing less of you. Um, so he goes, okay, we're leaving and delirium where we're going. And she's like, Oh, do you, uh, you spoke to her without me? And he's like, it's like, yes, you know where he is. He's like, I know where we are going next. And she's like, okay, I'll come. And uh, Matthew's like, oh, I want to stay a few more minutes. I kind of like uh, clubs like this. And uh, she's Ishtar is now going to get up on stage. And she's talking to her club, uh, the owner. And she's like basically talking about how gods work. Like gods can, you know, they're stronger the more followers they have. And they can, their worship, we're loved. And we can take power to ourselves. And we can even change Um but, you know, a goddess's journey takes its last journey back into dreams and what comes after, not even we know. And he's like, there's something wrong with you. I don't know. And she goes up and dances in a way that she's hasn't danced in centuries. And they describe it that she's the god dance that she does it. You know, the king would come and see it and it would be the last thing they ever saw because they would desire nothing afterwards. And she dances so hard that she starts affecting the people. And that's the three panels, the three ways that the people are affected by the death. Not so much the heart attack, not so much the ears bleeding. The third one, Joe. Yeah. Uh, again, I let's let's just say, uh, gentleman's very excited. Uh, right. And he's an old ex- man, and it's just it kind of sticks with me. And she dances, and Tiffany runs, and the club blows up, and she, Tiffany's the only survivor. And Desire comes and says, "Like <sighs> you're not that dumb. You got out of there before it went critical." I tried to stop them. I tried them not, but they wouldn't listen. They were smart, but some people are not bright enough to come in out of the rain. Here's my jacket because she complained about love in the beginning of the the story. She's like, don't say, Desire's like, don't say I never did anything for you and gives 
uh, Tiffany the jacket that they're wearing. And Tiffany looks around and Desire's just gone, and it's to be continued, Joe. So, uh, you know, obviously back to uh, Ishtar's final dance, right? As she's talking with her, I'm not going to go through the whole soliloquy that she's talking with the stage manager person at the adult entertainment uh, uh, venue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but she says, and in the end, each little god and goddess takes its last journey back into dreams. And what comes after, not even we know. And this line, I'm going to dance now, I'm afraid. Yep. You know, and obviously there's a comma there. Of I'm going to dance now, I'm afraid. But I think it's one of those things where, you know, she's come to the realization where her time is done. Things mm-hmm. have gotten too close. You know, we saw before with the travel agent guy who used to be a god, and then he got the new gig as the travel agent, right? Mm-hmm. And Ishtar in her other aliases as the goddess of love, as the world changed, unfortunately, this is where, and obviously we're going to get another thing a little bit later in the next issue that we're going to talk about in regards to Bast, but in a very nice touch, as the girls are on stage, and again, listen, it's girls, they're at a strip club, so there's nudity, you know, forewarned, forearmed, but in the first segment before Morpheus and the crew come in and the girls are all on stage, they're all colored in a shade of yellow, Mm -hmm. as though the spotlight is on them, or maybe not. When Ishtar goes up to do her last dance, the yellow is only colored on her, not the other two girls. Right, because nobody can look at anything but her. Very subtle, but a very nuanced way to get that information across to you, the reader, of the importance of the focus on what she's doing. hmm <sighs> So good. Next issue. Okay, so let me move my... Thing. Uh, oh, don't mind me. So 46. Once again, uh, we come to uh, Destruction and his uh, dog Barnabas. And Destruction is writing um, very, very terrible poetry. Um, and uh, Barnabas obviously getting some good one-liners in here on uh, Destruction, as he always does. And uh, he says, like, you know, to Barnabas, maybe you'll gaze up at me. and I'm going to go, like, do a painting. Maybe you'll gaze up at me adoringly from time to time, like my faithful hound. And Barnabas says, in your dreams. And he's like, I don't dream. I don't wouldn't be good for me to dream, especially now. And he's like, why? He's like, what are you worried about? He's like, I'm... I'm worried because you've never met my family, which is kind of a nice thing. And at this point, if you haven't realized, I didn't want to mention it too early. I do love the idea of destruction doing all things that are creative, but he does them very, very badly. By this point, you've seen him try to write a poem, try to do a painting. He says, I've had, he's like, if you think you can do any better than me, there's blocks of marble out back chisel something better than I could ever do. But he's destruction. He's trying to change and he wants to be a creator instead of a destroyer. And by this point, it kind of hammers it home. You know what I mean? For sure. So, um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, no. So I was gonna, you, you, you took the words right out of my mouth uh, in regards to that. And like, whether it's Barnabas just ribbing destruction or maybe because he's destruction, he's that bad at creating things. Right. 
Um, I feel like he's bad at creating things because that poetry is really bad. And he even says like you use never way too many times at the end, um, but open to uh, interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we get uh, Delirium and Sandman again. And she's like, uh, what do you mean you don't want me to go with you anymore? I mean, exactly. And she said, you said where you know where we were going next. And she says, I, I know where we're going next. You're going back to your realm and I'm going back to my realm. And it's basically because we're doing too much damage doing like for these people that we seek, we're done. Delirium goes on a tirade. You never, you never liked me. Um, I thought you wouldn't be mean to me, but you were mean to me again. And I thought we were friends. I like Sandman as he's fading away. He's like friends, my sister. I thought we were family and we've gone as far as we can to go together. So farewell. And she's like, all right, I'm going back to my realm. Um, dream goes back to the dreaming fades in and Noel is doing that little happy dance. Um, and of course, pouty Morpheus comes in and tells her to stop it. And Jill Thompson did a beautiful uh, rendition of her looking happy and then shocked and like scared kind of a deal uh, with Nuala. Love it. Um, runs into Lucian, says, I'm back. My, you know, it's over. Uh, he calls Faramond, which was the travel uh, guy, the god, and he's like, uh, no longer, I'm needed. He's like, okay, left your car. And he's like, uh, but I want to tell you, uh, Ruby died. There was a fire. I think it was because of what we were doing on our trip. And he's like, ah, she's dead. That's the trouble with mortals. They do that. And Salmon's like, what? do you regret her death? And he's like, I try not to let myself get too fond of them. It only leads to sorrow. And you, because I only knew her briefly. Um, and he's like, uh, he's like, so you're finished with your quest. He's like, not finished perhaps, but I no longer need your, uh, aid. Once again, I like that. Like Sandman's genuinely seems to care about what happened to Ruby. And, uh, you know, like he's at, he's asking questions like, why does it affect you too? Um, (laughs) Change guy kind of joke. It, right, it's it's of how many thousands of years old Morpheus is. He's now just realizing, like, huh, my actions have consequences, mm-hmm. undesired consequences on other people than me. Huh, interesting. Maybe I should think about that occasionally. But we'll mm, see. Yes. Um. So he's like, okay, I kind of know where I want to go, and I like that he says they uh the book says like he's in this throne room and wherever the throne room, that's the center of the dreaming. He's like, I want to be alone. So he closes up all the entrances and exits to the throne room, some hidden, some not. And he's like, and he's very meticulous. And I like that. He says, uh, it takes a long time, but still he has patience when circumstances dis- dis- demand, he could be meticulous. Love the way Neil Gaiman will describe Morpheus at times. So he gets it. Now he creates this dream and it's the city of Bubastis. Um, but it says the city is, it's never been seen as it's dreamt by its creator, um, which is a cool thing. And he ends up going to see Lady Bast and Lady Bast is one once again, like, are we in a dream or is this real? And he's like, well, it's, it's, it's real. And she's like, well, wouldn't you say that if it was just a dream? Um, and he's like, listen, uh, 
I brought you here because I knew it was a place you cared about. She's like, oh, you're, you're a sweetheart. And she ends up talking about the, the, the city and how like cats were mummified with pharaohs and stuff and what happened to them, the, the bodies. And she's kind of sad about that. Um, but you know, and the dream essence of these cats, these kittens and stuff are walking around. He asks, she asks if Morpheus wants to pet one. He's like, I have no wish to, and almost like she doesn't want to like offend him says that I, I have no wish. And she's like, listen, I'm only ribbing you. It's like, Oh, okay. Make us a seat and we'll talk. Um, and she says that like, he wants to know, you told me you knew where my brother was and that for when during the key to hell. And she's like, uh, I need to know the answer. He's like, well, what's in it for me in return? Would you be my Tomcat and run under the moon with me? And he's like, would that ask me? And she's like, it's like, no, I wouldn't do that. I, 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 I can't. And he's like, but I don't know where your brother is. And she's like, what? I thought you said, he's like, I know what I said. I was there after all, but I was lying. And I don't know what I would have done if, uh, you uh had given me it so we're, we're stuff like that and now morpheus is trying to figure it out and she's like well you know what maybe to to find your brother uh you could use an oracle and he's like there are no oracles that can reach uh who could tell me of my family if my family do not wish it and she says none and he kind of looks off as he's like transforming into a cat version and he's like, and you you kind of get maybe he's thought of something, but it's kind of not good. And he's like, you've been helpful. Thanks. And leaves Before we go to the next part, I need to interject. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Go ahead. It's okay. So, as you mentioned, as he's turning into the cat look, right? Mm-hmm. Many times throughout the course of the book as we've read this so far. And I, I, I'm asking you because I want your interpretation on this, of how your feeling is in regards to this. And you'll get where I'm going. To. Okay, so. Whenever Morpheus has gone and spoken with other people, okay, people of different times, people of different countries, people of different species, like Bast, okay, every time that he's gone to them, he has immediately appeared matching them. Mm-hmm. We immediately, from the time the scene begins to the time the scene ends, that Morpheus looks like how he should for that person or that time period or that whatever, right? But here he does not. Throughout these couple pages, he's only with Bast for about three or four pages, there's a couple times where he's kind of cat-like, but still very much of his humanoid form. Mm-hmm. And then as it goes on and on and on, you see the eyes become more like cat eyes. You see the shape of his hair even go almost like they're cat with cat ears as opposed to his normal, you know, Robert Smith spiky hair. And it's not until those last two panels where he's almost fully cat. Mm-hmm. Is this intention of Morpheus not to be like to be his normal humanoid self, to kind of separate himself from Bast in this particular instance because of how serious things are? Is this him fighting from looking like that so that he has some sort of upper hand over her because he's looking for something, his brother, with information that she claimed to have and obviously finds out that she does not? Or am I reading too much into this? I think it's none of those. If I had to give my opinion, I think Sandman 
and I keep hating that we harp on this, but I think Sandman is changing, like even in other aspects, in that it was almost, it was like a, a reflex to, to change into what the person believed dream would look like, if you get mm-hmm. my meaning. And now because he's changing, he's he's not fighting it. It's just, he, he does it less gradually. The longer he's with her, it happens. And that's just like, I have no way to confirm or deny that, but it's just slightly different person. And especially as they're talking about the gods, because I don't want to jump too much ahead, but like with Bass, she's talking about how her prayers have changed and she's weaker. And before she had millions of prayers and Ishtar was the same way. She was like, I had followers and Kings love me and God's, change but the endless aren't supposed to they're supposed to be the from the beginning of time to the end of time they're whatever essences they are and that's why they're not gods they're kind of like we don't our worshipers don't affect us we're seeing the way you think so i think that's kind of what i'm trying to say in a long roundabout way if that makes any sense i i like the way that you're presenting this mm-hmm but so, do you have an opinion on what one it is? For well, yourself? that's the thing. I I didn't have an opinion. I I had many thoughts in regards to it, and I wasn't right. sure which way. But what you've laid out makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I have no proof. But so now, back in the dreaming, Merv, Mervin Pumpkinhead. Well, no, we we have to wrap up. You 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 touched on it a little bit where Ishtar had very few followers, and Bass now, you know, obviously from the dream that Morpheus created for her so she would be more comfortable and from a time that she likes where, you know, obviously she almost looks like she's homeless, even though she's like living in what appears to be some sort of palace. And, you know, she looks like a stray cat. Yeah. She looks more like a stray cat. And, you know, the, the, the prayer that she gets from someone to give their cat that was hit by a car an easy death. Um, you know, is the little bit of energy that she needs to, you know, bite the head off of an already dead rat, you know, mm-hmm. and like even doing so, like biting the head off the dead rat, sending the prayer, uh, you know, responding to the pa- prayer tires her. Yeah. And then that last part there where it says uh, she is beginning to become scared of dreams. Fast is getting old. Yeah. Don't I know it? Powerful, powerful stuff. Sorry, go ahead. Go to your Merv Pumpkinhead stuff. Right, no problem. So Merv obviously is running down uh, Morpheus, um, but I do like the fact that he's helping rebuild the library, and he's not putting books on shelf. He's wallpapering the books onto the walls. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. And he's like, oh, the boss is a bit flaky, and he gives you know you the responsibility, puts a lot on your shoulders. And like Batman, Morpheus always shows up when you're least expect it, like he did to Nuala, and he basically puts over Lucian. He's like, he was he was here when it all fell apart and I was gone. And you know, he ran things exceptionally. Um, and where were you? And uh, I'm flaky. The word you used was flaky. What did you do while I was gone? He's like, I did a bit of that, I did a bit of this, and I drove a bus, which was his first appearance. Right. In the dream, we saw him doing that. And he's like, uh, uh, you know, now I place my trust in him. Now kind of, you know, get out of here kind of a deal. And he goes and he talks to Lucian. He's like, um, when last we spoke, uh, you looked into it, but you found nothing. He's like, 
how did you know? He's like, I know because he wants to be hidden. Goes, but I have to show you something. He takes him into Sandman's gallery and he's like, uh, the sigil for delirium has blacked itself out. And he's like, I thought you should know. Like, all right. So he calls death and death comes and she's talking to Lucian. It's like, oh, Lucian, it's good to see you again. Can I borrow a book? I want something nice with a happy ending. And each time Sandman's like in between the word balloons, like my sister, you're not talking to me. He's like, uh, this and that is like, why are you not talking? He's like, cause I'm mad at you. That's why. And he ends up, she ends up sending, he sends Lucian away. It's like, why did you do that? Like, I wanted to talk to him. So they want to be alone. And he, she basically says, what did you do to delirium? He's like, I did nothing. I merely stopped our our journey. And I like that each, between each sentence, she, he's just, she's just saying dream. He's like, I was trying to protect her. Dream. I called you as soon as it happened. I, does it make this better? And she basically says, she's a kid. You know, like, she's upset. You go sort it out. Why me? You upset her. She's like, but, you know, I can't get there. He's like, work your way in. And she's like, why is, is this, like, my thing? I didn't do anything wrong. And Death's like, just do it. And he's like, all right. And she ends up kissing him. And I love, like, just how cute and awesome Death is. She, she Each time she gets better and better um anything in there you want to discuss that little panel at the end where she's given dream the kiss in the cheek and she's got the one foot in the air and you see the little heart there and again it's a little stylized open to interpretation but you could almost say that his eyes as the empty shadow the 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 pale deep shadow uh, uh pools that they can sometimes be are almost heart-shaped in and of themselves. Yes, they are. Almost. Uh, So, so yes, again, this is one of those things where did Dream do anything wrong? In his mind, no. But as we mentioned before, sometimes, again, Dream is figuring this out here very late in life, that (laughs) sometimes, um, listen, I'm dealing with it with an (laughs) 11-year-old. Death is dealing with it with a however old the endless are endless some would say right 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 that if just because what he said happened we are going to go on this journey until the end and it ended when he decided it was over not when it delirium decided it was over she had something specific she needed to do which was find their brother sandman had something that he wanted to do and maybe he had alternative motives which we're about to uh find out and it's one of those things like okay maybe you did nothing wrong in your mind but you did something wrong in someone else's mind and you need to swallow your pride and you need to go and make things better yep i will say this do i think dream did anything wrong no if we follow him to the letter of what he said. No, no, let, let me finish. I don't think he did anything wrong. I think he went around about it the wrong way. He, like, delirium, you have to finesse delirium. You can't be a hammer. And Sandman's a hammer. Like, listen, if me and you, like you said, Todd, we're going on a road trip. I need to get this. And we went on that road trip and along and along the way, because of us, people were dying left and right. And I went, we're done with this road trip. I don't care what you need. We're killing people. Let's go back. 
I would find a way not to just go, we're done, kind of F you, let's get out of here. And that's what Sandman does by being blunt. He's trying to do the right thing, actually, because he thinks about Ruby and what's happened. And he's like, this, we're done, you know? But Delirium takes it the wrong way. You're right. So I do think he did it the wrong way, and that's his crime. But it's his job to fix it. I agree with Death. Yep. So he goes into Delirium's world, and he gets bombarded by like crazy delirium thoughts kind of a deal i won't go into them all but the one about the gun just like gives me chills you know what i mean um and he's like sister do you do you hear me like uh uh and she's like she basically goes in i i hate you i'll be uh you we were supposed to be find my brother and he was gonna make everything better um and he comes and he says i I want you to, she goes, I want you to go away and I could destroy you. I could make you crazy forever. You're in my realm and you don't even have your little helmy thing. Like you would be at my whim. And he's, she's right the way we've seen the rules play out. Um, and she's like, go away. And he's like, if that's what you wish, I will. But I want to talk to you first. First, I want to apologize with you. And he basically says, I traveled with you through the waking world because I hoped foolishly be perhaps on reflection to encounter a young lady. He was looking for the love uh, that he had lost and she's in the waking world. She's like, you gave me the excuse. I was not seeking my brother. Um, when I, when I realized the havoc that we were playing uh, on people's lives, I wanted, I wanted to stop because I didn't want to do anything worse to these people. Um, but you know, since then, I've thought about it and may, you know, looked into it on my own. If you're willing to travel with me, we can resume. And she's like, um, Dream, do you like me? Yes, I suppose I must do, Delirium. You entertain me, and it distresses me to see you troubled. The most touching apology Sandman has ever given, Joe. And she's like, really? He's like, really? Well, I don't like when you tease me, Um but let's go find him properly this time. Ready or not, here we come. Like a real bona fide, straight up apology. Very dry, but an apology, Joe. And did you mention that uh, Delirium looks different now after what she's gone through? What does she look? Because she always looks different. Okay, so for the majority of this story, brighter eyes, more wild hair... Um, you know, more le- like uh, less of a harsher look when Dream finds her here. It's almost as though she's got like a crew cut. The hair is not full. The hair is not flowing. Her eyes are drawn to be more realistic as opposed to the cartoony eyes that she's had before. She's got a much harsher inked line around like her facial features. Okay. Okay. Um, but like I said, she looks different. Like her hair is different. Everything is different until that last panel where she looks softer. Yes. And, uh, ready or not, here we come. Where's that on the menacing level of the end of brief live issues, Joe? (sighs) It's down. It's gotta be, you know, DEFCON lower. You know what I mean? I was gonna say, let's say it's a 7.5. How about that? Okay. Yep. But even further still, the fact that, you know, you know, it is not in Delirium's nature of the character to be all bluster and bravado, right? Mm-hmm. But she tries it, and it fails. 
Because, you know, you have that moment where Dream first comes in, and then she ends up, like, shrinking down and hiding behind the sundial. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, it may not be the best apology, but it might be the first real apology that Dream is given. Right. Authentic, definitely. Authentic. The fact that he gets down on his knees next to her, Mm -hmm. down on her level, as opposed to standing above her or having that poise or that whatever is. And even just the way the character is drawn, he's taller than her in the first place. But the fact that he's down on the ground with her when Mm -hmm. she tried to be big and blustery and she just couldn't do it. And now she's spent and she's done. And now here's this where Dream comes down to her level. It's really an amazing moment in the book. Yeah, I don't know if I mentioned this. I really love Brief Lives. <laughs> now, I will go ahead. I will say this. Uh, we're going on to the next two issues next week. And I said this back when we did issue eight, that there was three soliloquies in this comic that stuck with me till the end of time. And at one time I could rattle them off in... You know, uh, like verbatim, I can't do it much anymore as I'm older. The next two issues have one of those, and I'm I'm pumped to read it. I'm excited here, too. You know, obviously, a lot of the stuff doesn't, you know, it's not in the front of my mind. Um, We'll talk off air. I'm almost certain that I recall what's going on. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get into it, I think, next week, if not definitely the week after. But uh, I've been loving rereading this. We say it every week, but it bears repeating. I love, love, love re- rereading all of this stuff. It's because it might be good. Like <laughs> yes. Uh, I think like, what, 45, 46 issues in, 47 if you count the one shot. I think we've had like one issue that was just good. As opposed to good, really good to amazing, like everything else. Yes, we've had we've had home runs and grand slams, and like three, like two triples in this yeah. entire run so far. I'd say that's a that's a hell of an average, you know. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um. So hey, let's close things out here. Of course, we have our T Public store. The sale is next week. We have our eBay affiliate thing. Um, our page contains uh, affiliate links for eBay. We may receive a small commission on any purchase you make. You can use this affiliate link at any time. You want to buy anything from eBay, and you would support us at the same time by doing so. The links are in every single post uh, that's a f- that's associated with Longbox Heroes, whether it be these posts or pull posts or have issue posts or after dark posts or what have you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you could also sign up for our Patreon. As little as a dollar a month is going to get you two bonus shows a month from Todd and myself. One is Previewing the Past, where we look at 30 years ago, this month's previews catalog. The other is our movie show. This year we're doing comic book oddities, uh, where we're looking at some of the lesser known, maybe more maligned, pre-Iron Man uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, movies last month we just did Catwoman. This <laughs> month we're going to be doing Red Sonia. 
Uh, we have a list of them. I think the list is going to have a couple left over for next year. So when we do the voting for next year, what the movie show is going to be, I think comic book oddities will probably be on the list again next year. Probably. Yeah. We have to fill out the all 12 though. But. Right. Um, also, uh, at the Patreon, you're going to get full scans of those preview catalogs, uh, that we review. So that's years worth of previews catalogs. Uh, even if you don't get a chance to listen to the podcast and listen, I get it. A lot of people just don't have the commute anymore. They don't have the time of the day. You're just not a podcast person. This is the only podcast you have time for. Mm-hmm. Give us that buck. Go back through those co- those catalogs. Did you start reading comic books in 91 or 92? Do you remember the death of Superman? Do you remember Image? Sadly, do you remember when Azrael became Batman? Go look at those preview catalogs and s- remind yourself. Walk down that memory lane by looking through that catalog to see what else was going on in the world of comics. And I just mentioned it to someone before. You know, obviously, as we're coming off of the preview catalog or the, the preview of the past this week. And, of course, the $5 and up folks get the uh, episodes two weeks before everyone else. And they also get After Dark two days before everyone else so they can listen to things in the correct listening order. Yes, sir. You do that so well. <laughs> so I want to kind of bring this up, and I was tweeting with someone about this on Sunday. So in the previous catalog that we just did in June for stuff that's coming out in August, right? Right. In the same issue, we get the return of Superman, okay? Clark right. Kent is back as Superman. We get Azrael is now Batman, and we get the first seed planted for Hal Jordan becoming Parallax. Spoilers, Joe! We get those three key moments in DC, you know, whether it be in continuity or their overall business, those three moments all happen in the same month. That's crazy. That's crazy to think about. And while the whole time Marvel's pushing Marvel UK. (laughs) Right. They're pushing Marvel UK. Infinity Uh, Crusade. Yeah. They're just like not hitting on anything right now. Like they're doing okay. Right. But when we look at the top 10 books, it's all like Image and DC at this point. To be fair to DC, we can't praise them too much. They are doing Bloodlines at this time. Well, Bloodlines is almost over. Yes, but it's still there. It is still there. Like I said, three hits and a miss. You know, that's That's 750. That's a really good batting average. A rash that's still there is still there. (laughs) But the reason I mention it is, is just because... Like, you have to think the type of planning to have, like, well, this big storyline for Doomsday, Death of Superman, Return of Superman, we started planting the seeds here, and it's going to go from here to here. We're going to start planting the seeds maybe, like, here for Batman, and then right when this Superman thing resolves, we could have some runoff. Where Superman is back, we may have people drop the Superman books. But we have their attention. Let's grab them with the Batman change. And let's plant the seeds for the Green Lantern change that's going to come like four to five months down the road. Yep, yep. And um, if right. I remember correctly, isn't the next thing that happens Green Arrow stuff? Yes, it. I forget the batting order. Yeah. But it's definitely... We have Green Arrow and then the Wonder Woman thing happens... Right, so it's like... And then there's a fake-out Flash one. Right. So, and I'm sure that's a very big Mark Wade thing, but it seems like right now, DC is in a thing, it's like, we're going to have a big storyline start, 
We're going to plant the seeds for the next one. This one's going to end. The second one hits its crescendo. We're going to plant the seeds for the next one. When the next one ends, the one that we planted the seeds for is going to sprout. And we'll plant the seeds for the next one. And it'll just be like this consistent cycle for like the next like what up until zero hour where they're just like on this like three to four month cycle of like these stories just kind of going through and flowing, you know? Right. And uh, kind of a let's swap out of hero kind of a deal. Yeah. Because that's the through line, basically. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, you know, we're plugging the Patreon. I think it's a, if you if you enjoy this, if you enjoy the comic book history stuff, I really think you'll enjoy the preview in the past show. And like I said, you know, if you don't have time, these last few episodes, because the preview catalogs have been so big, they've been like three plus hour shows, you know. Um, yep. But, you know, just go look at the previews catalogs. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good, that's a, that's a wealth of information right there. Alone. Yeah, it's a labor of love, some would say. Right, and we might even have some uh, free previews of the movie stuff coming up. Yes, too, right? thank you for reminding me. So, um, if you have never um, listened to the Patreon shows before, um, this month we're going to try something. We're going to give some episodes away for free um, because this uh, this upcoming Thursday uh, is a red letter date, at least for me. <laughs> As this Thursday is the 33-year anniversary of Dick Tracy being released. Oh, no, no, no. It escaped, Joe. <laughs> well, the, the Beatty cut needs to escape, right? Right. Um, so we're going to give that episode of the Patreon uh, show away uh, for free this upcoming Thursday. If you've never listened to us, you want to hear somebody who really loves Dick Tracy uh, try to convince someone who hates Dick Tracy and see how things work out. Mm-hmm. Immovable force and an and a unstoppable object. Right. And then later on in June, on the 25th of June, if I do my Gazintas to feel old, it's the 41st anniversary Ooh. of Megaforce coming out, which is, a, which is a movie that I knew little to nothing about. Todd loves it. He assigns it to me. And I think it's one of our better episodes of the show. And we're just putting it out in conjunction with the 41st anniversary. I was just like looking at like release dates of stuff and some of the stuff that we've done in the past. And I'm like, let's put these out, give them to folks, grab them, sit on them, whatever. However it is that you get your podcast and stuff just as a taste of some of the stuff that we're doing over on the Patreon to see what you enjoy. And uh, I might later, you know, in the year or something, um, you know, I, I'm looking at September for some key dates and I might release a preview of the past for free, um, you know, just to kind of give some folks an idea of some of what the Patreon shows are, you know? Right. So there'll be two, like I said, this month, this Thursday and then the 25th, which is a Sunday. So we'll, yep. we'll remind you as, as those dates, uh, grow near, obviously we can't remind you for Thursday cause it's two days from now or a day from now. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, and then last but not least, we have Flash coming out this weekend, huh? Yeah, finally. <laughs> uh, a movie that has a, a lot of baggage, some would say, associated with it, both good and bad. Uh, most baggage is bad, but this one is particularly bad. Um, I will be seeing this, uh, you know, of course, making the time to see it before we record next week. And I'm letting you, Todd, know I'm going into this movie with very low expectations. 
Oh, uh, Joe, I don't think you could get lower than mine. I may have uh, vibrated my molecules and merged into the earth. I'm so low with my <laughs> expectations, a la Flash, you know? Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, so, yeah, we'll th- talk about it. You know, I, I've seen people I trust say not bad things about this movie. Right. But um, every clip I see online, and I do try my best to avoid them, uh, but every clip I see online makes me like less and less enthusiastic for this, and it bums me out because I love the Flash, not as much as Todd, but uh, you know, it's a movie that should be good, and uh, I certainly hope it is. Yeah, I want to be wrong. I want to be yeah. wrong. I've never wanted to be wrong more in my life. Yes. All right. So, hey, everyone, thank you very much uh, for listening. This was episode six sixty two of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars.